And so the question I have for you this morning is, what is your drive in life? Where does your heart lie? What are you devoted to? Do you live in such a way that reflects your hope of seeing God someday? Do you live with eternity in view? That you will someday see God, that you will someday stand before Him? Or do you live for the here and now? Or do you live for that life that is to come? Do you live in such a way that brings you closest to God? Or are you devoted to yourself? Are you devoted to the things around you? Are you devoted to the material things of this world? To the temporary things of this world? The question this morning is, are you striving for eternity? Are you fighting the good fight of the faith? Are you training in righteousness? Are you working out your sanctification? Are you working towards godliness? Are you striving to, for holiness as God has called you to? Are you living for Jesus Christ? Are you living with eternity in view? God has words for us this morning. And this is His desire for the believer. This is His desire for those who are saved, that He is saved purely by His grace. He has said in His Word that He has started a good work within you. And He is now at work within you. And this work is to change you. To help you renounce your former life. To transform you from one degree of glory to the next. God has said that He will not leave you as you are. But if you are His, if you've received this Savior, His Spirit now dwells within you and He is changing you. He is training you. Training you to renounce that former life, to live upright and holy lives in this present age. So what we will see this morning is truly this great mystery. As Paul said in the last chapter, he called it the mystery of godliness. And it truly is a mystery. And as we think of this this godliness that's happening, happening within the believer's life, one thing I know for sure, that everything good in your life, everything that you have done good in your life, is because of God. He gets all credit for it. All good comes from God. We can do no good apart from God. As the Scriptures say, He is the one that is at work within us. And so let's give Him all the credit for the good in our lives. Let's not take any of the glory that God deserves. He and He alone deserves all glory for the good in your life. That being said, it is so clear from Scripture that we have a part to play in this. And that's why it is a mystery to us. The Scriptures say, work out your sanctification. But they also say that God is the one who is working within you. This morning we're going to look at these words to Timothy. And while yes, it is God who will get the credit for all the work that you do, all the good work that happens in your life because He is at work within you, we will see by Paul's words to Timothy that he has called us to godliness. That He has called us to train. He has called us to work. He's called us to be disciplined. He's called us to train ourselves in godliness. He has called you to action here today. One thing I would like to say before we get into the text is 
that these words truly are for every Christian. Even though they are written to Timothy, who is a minister, they are especially true of the pastor. They are especially true of the minister, the servant of Jesus Christ in that way. But this is God's call to every single believer. It is the call for training, for discipline in godliness. In verse 6, he says, If you put these things before the brothers, speaking to Timothy, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ. So Timothy, to put these things, these things that Paul has written in this letter before the church there in Ephesus. If you think back to what we have read, what we have learned in this letter, Paul is saying that Timothy needs to continue to give these words in this letter to the church there. That is to teach them sound doctrine, to teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ. He needs to use the law lawfully to expose sin and drive people to the Savior. He needs to preach grace, that trustworthy statement that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He needs to preach that salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. And also we've learned about right conduct in the household of God. And and Paul is telling Timothy to continue to put those things before the church. And he says, if you continue in these things, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. That word servant, we've heard it before, it's the word deacon. He's not speaking of the office of deacon, but as the pastor there, Timothy is the pastor, he is to be a servant. Notice he's not to rule like a dictator or an authoritarian. The one who administer as a pastor must also be a humble servant of Jesus Christ. He also must be a servant. Another quick note before we leave this verse. As I was reading it, I thought about this, how so many times I hear people saying, I wonder what God's will is for my life. Always asking, as if they're hoping that God would show them a sign. But you know, really, God has given us a great sign right here in His Word to what His will is. People are always wondering what His will is, but think about what Paul says to Timothy right here. If you continue in these things, you will be a good servant of Christ. It's not too hard to find out. It's not too hard to figure out. We've made it some great mystery. But if you want to know God's will for your life, it's simple. Find His words and do them. Find what He has said in Scripture and live by it. Don't just be a hearer of the Word, but be a doer of the Word. Paul goes on to say, to tell Timothy that he needs to be trained in the words of faith. What are these words of faith? What's he mean by it? That's the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what he needs to know well. He needs to be able to speak it well. Paul Paul knows the vital importance of this. This is why he is urging Timothy to learn these words of the faith. Why? Because Paul knows that it's by these words of faith that God saves people. After all, it is God who inspired the Apostle Paul to write in Romans 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for everyone It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. And it is God who inspired Paul, the Apostle Paul, also to write further on in that book of Romans in 
chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of Jesus Christ, through the word of God. Paul's telling Timothy, learn the words of faith because this is how people are saved. God works through his word to bring new life into people's hearts. It's so very important that we know the gospel and we know it well. The gospel is the backbone of the Christian faith. It's the backbone of all Christian ministry. Christ and him crucified is the hope to the lost world. Paul says to Timothy, train yourself in it. Train yourself. The idea here, he's saying, know it well. The word would literally mean form your mind. To form your mind around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like you would rear up a child. This is the idea. He's saying, Timothy, know it so well that it forms your thoughts. That your thoughts start to be like God's thoughts. That you think his thoughts after him. He's telling him, daily remind yourself of Christ and what he has done. Be devoted to these words of the faith. Live by them. Study them. Be nourished by them. Taking in the spiritual food of God daily is what he's calling Timothy to. Jesus Christ said that we were not to live by bread alone. Oftentimes, I don't think we take his words too seriously. Think about this. Think about your physical body. You would not go a single day without food. Especially as Americans, we don't go without food. We nourish our physical bodies. But yet, we can neglect our souls. We can neglect our spiritual food, the Word of God. We starve ourselves. We don't go to the Word. We don't learn about these words of faith. We starve ourselves as Christians. And so as we go and we eat physical food every single day, we need to go to the words and take in spiritual food every single day. We need to be nourished by the Word of God. Paul tells Timothy to find nourishment in the words of God. Paul says further that he is to be trained in the good doctrine that you have followed. So not only the gospel, but good doctrine. Or in other words, right teaching. Good teaching. This is to know the central truths of the Christian faith. This is what Paul is saying. You need to know the Scriptures and you need to know them well. Paul is encouraging Timothy to know God's Word. Hear this today. I promise you that the Scriptures are sufficient for you. And so many Christians are starving spiritually, but God has given us His Word. It truly is an infallible rule for faith and practice. All of life, for all of life's circumstances, for everything that you need in the faith, God has granted it to us in His Word. If you would just only take and eat. If you would only dig. If you would only study. If you would only find those words that He has said. So many are struggling in their faith in so many ways. They've truly bought the lie that they don't have to read their Bibles. That they can read their Bibles and everything will be okay. I once heard someone say this. I don't know who said it, so I'm sorry. I can't give them credit. But it's an illustration. And I think it's especially true of American Christianity. It's like we look down at our Bibles and there's this sticky note on it. 
And that sticky note says, when life gets busy, when life gets hard, it's okay to skip your daily devotions. It's okay to skip your Bible reading. It's okay to skip your prayers. But then you look further and you see who signed the sticky note. And the sticky note is signed by Satan himself. This is what Satan desires for you. That when life gets busy, when life gets hard, that you're like, oh, I can skip a few days. Oh, I, I don't need it right now. I'll be all right. No. No, that's, that's what Satan desires for you. Is for you to not know the word. To skip your Bible reading. To skip your prayer. Remember, he wants to devour you in your weak faith. He wants you outside of the Word of God. He doesn't want you to know the Word of God. And as the Scriptures say, He is prowling around like a lion looking who He may devour. If you are out of the Word, you are the prime one He is looking for to devour. God has called Christians to read the Scriptures, to read their Bibles. Jesus Christ said when He was tempted Himself by Satan, He said these words too. Satan, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God has called his people to be nourished by his words. To hide them in their hearts, to know them well. And what we see throughout Scripture are there, there are so many reasons to know the Scriptures. There's so many reasons to read the Word of God and to read it often. And one of them Paul's really going to address in the very next verse is that we would know truth from error. That we would know the lie. That we would be able to see it. We would know what to stay away from. He goes on to tell Timothy in verse 7. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Or have nothing to do with the profane. Or as the King James puts it, the profane and the old wives' fables. Paul is saying to Timothy, stay away from the false teaching. Have nothing to do with it. Refuse it. Reject it. Avoid it. You might have heard the saying, I like to eat the meat and spit out the bones. I've heard people say, they, they, I've talked to people about some of the teachers they listen to, and they're dangerous teachers. I personally would not listen to them. And this is what they say to me. I take in what they say that is true, but when they say things that are not, I spit those out. So, I take in the meat and I spit out the bones. But is that what Paul is calling us to right here? No, he's not calling us to take in the meat and spit out the bones. He's actually saying from the irreverent, the, the profane, the false teachers there, stay away from them. Have nothing to do with it. Avoid it. Refuse it. Reject it. He's telling them to have nothing to do with this teaching. And the idea that the teaching is worthless. It's not good for you. It's worthless. It's the opposite of good for you. It's worth teaching. See that word irreverent or profane? It's the opposite of holy. So if God's word is holy, if God's teaching is true, if it is what is high and lifted up, if, if it's what is to be magnified, then the false teaching is the exact opposite. It is worthless. It's from the pit. It is a lie. And Paul says, avoid it. 
saying to Timothy, don't even contemplate it. Don't even go there. Don't give give them any credence. Don't lend, lend any notion to the idea that it's okay. Instead, refuse it. Avoid it. Get it out of the church. He says to them, instead, rather train yourself in godliness. This word, train yourself in godliness, also translated as discipline yourself, also translated as exercise yourself. This had a, the idea of an athlete in training. That's what the word meant. And that's exactly what Timothy would have thought about. He would have thought about those athletes in his day and how they trained vigorously. And this isn't just mediocre training. These athletes would throw off any hindrance to their training and they would train with the utmost devotion to it. And he is saying right now that the Christian needs to do this spiritually. That God has called you to discipline yourself in godliness, to train in godliness, to exercise yourself towards godliness. The word here would have reminded Timothy, as I said, of those athletes. But like the athletes then, they are like the athletes now. And most professional athletes we know of, they are crazy devoted to their craft. One who's close to home, think about Peyton Manning. He was famous for his mastery of the game of football. He was considered a football genius. And not only that, he was physically fit. He was physically a great quarterback also. And you know what was said about him? That he was the first one in and the last one home. He lived it. That's what it's like to train as an athlete. And God says to the Christian, this is is what you are to do in your Christian faith. You're to discipline yourself in godliness. And that comes through reading the Scriptures, praying, mortifying the flesh, not giving in to sin. This is what God has called us to. He's called us to walk out this faith that we claim to have. To train, to discipline yourself in godliness. Like an athlete would for their, their sport. Strong contrast to that irreverent teaching there. Paul says to Tim, train yourself. Which is another word for holiness. Train yourself in godliness or train yourself in holiness or set-apartness. For me, a word that signifies our right mind towards God, a reverence for Him, an awe of Him, a godly attitude. It's a change that happens within you that is so profound it can be seen on the way that you live your life. That is the idea of godliness. It's a change from the inside out. It's not just going through the motions. It's just not looking good for all the people. This is from the heart. You know, too often we can just start going through the motions of the faith and we make excuses in our heart and we're not even ever thinking about what's going on on the inside. But God says godliness is from the inside out. And that godly living comes from a right view of God, a right relationship with God, a relationship with God that is found first in faith in Christ And then godliness is the outflow from that, the fruit of salvation by grace alone and faith alone. It's a way, it's it's to live in a way that is pleasing to Him. 
as he would will you. As Christians, this is something that we are all called to. To work out our sanctification. To train like an athlete would. To fight the good fight of the faith. To run the race. To wage the good warfare. God has called you to this. No more going through the motions of the faith. God has called you to work. He has called you to train in godliness. Paul goes on to say in verse 8, to continue this theme, he says, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Other translations say that that this bodily training is of little value. But Paul is not saying that exercise is wrong. That's not what he's saying. In fact, you know, as we are to be stewards of these bodies, exercise can be wise and healthy for us. And he's really not even talking about exercise. Think of that athlete. Think about how they're devoted to their bodies. They're devoted to this temporary form. They work so hard on it continuously. But what's the scriptures teach? That this body that we live in, it's dying. What Paul is saying is the reason that exercise is of a little value is because it's temporary. You can work as hard as you can. You can get in the best shape of the entire world, but you're still going to die. No matter what. And so it can only profit you a little. Only a little. It's temporary. And that could go for anything in this life. Anything that you chase after. Anything that you go after. It's only temporary. It can only profit you a little. No matter what it is. You will eventually return to the dust. You will eventually die. And as James said in chapter 4 of his letter, in verse 14, he says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Our lives are temporary. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, don't put your focus on the temporary of life. Don't put your focus on what will fade away, what you can't take with you. You know, my dad died at 62. I talk to my kids a lot about them. They ask me, the little kids, they ask me about them. And a lot of times, my older kids, when they're so devoted to their things, I'll talk to them I'm like, you know, Grandpa Brett, you know, he had a lot of stuff. And I always ask him, where is all this stuff? And they're like, it's in his barn. That's where it is. We literally have filled his barn with all of his stuff. He devoted himself to the temporary things of this world. And he lost his life like that. He focused on it. He was devoted to it. But God is calling us out of that. He's calling us to turn away from that. He's calling us not to focus on the temporary. He's telling us to focus on him and living for him. So no matter what you do in this life, it is only temporary. 
Paul is saying that put your focus on what will last forever. Focus on what truly has value. And that, he says, is godliness. He says it's living for God. It has far greater in this life. It's living out your faith. And he says of it, it has value in every way. It has value in every way. He says it holds promise for this present life and also the life to come. Promise for this present life. Now that's not necessarily that you're going to get all the things that you want in this life. That's not what he's talking about. In fact, we can go to Job. We can read about him in the very first verse of that book. It says there of Job that he was a blameless and upright man. That he was a godly man. It says there he feared the Lord and he turned away from evil. But yet think about the incredible hardship that Job faced. That's not what Paul is talking about. That's not the promise. But what is the promise? Well, godly living, it has value in this life. Remember, Jesus spoke of an abundant life. The fact that we will live differently in this world, that we'll walk by the Spirit, that we'll have His fruit in His life, this is the promise for this age. This is the promise for this life that you truly will have spiritual blessings, that you will walk this out, you will walk by the Spirit, you will experience the things of God. You will have the abundant life. Living for Christ, living in a godly way, you will have peace, you will have rest, you will have joy, you will have contentment in your life. But of course, this is never the reason that we come to Christ We don't ever come saying, God, what fruit can I get from following you? We come because He is the treasure. He is the pearl of great price. He is altogether worthy of our adoration, our praise, our honor, our worship. We come to Him because He is our everything. But as we come to Him, as we live for Him, there there is true fruit that is experienced in the Christian life. And as Christ called it, the abundant life, like every single thing in the Christian faith, most everything in the Christian faith, it can only be tasted in this life. We can only get a glimpse of what it really, truly will be like in the life to come. So while yes, of course, you you will experience more peace, more satisfaction, more contentment than the people that do not have Christ It will only go so far in your life. Because Paul says it holds promise for the life to come also. That this is what we long for. This is our hope. This is what we live for. Is to see Him. To see His face someday. Paul goes on to say in verses 9 and 10, that the saying is trustworthy, trustworthy and full and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially to those who believe. Before I can explain this verse, I have to quickly address the question that 
will flood into most people's mind as they hear this. Paul is not teaching in this verse, every single person will be saved. That's not what he's teaching. The word Savior there can, can be easily translated as deliverer, preserver, or provider. And Paul is saying that God has graciously provided for all. For the unbeliever and the believer alike. He's caused the rain to fall on all. He's given us all food, breath, and life. And He's given all the opportunity to come to His Son. He's given all the opportunity to come to Jesus Christ in faith and be saved. He's been gracious, the gracious provider to all the earth. But then He says, especially to the believer. And so we hear that language applied to us, those who are in Christ. It means so much more. See, he's the provider of your salvation, of your spiritual nourishment, of your physical needs. He protects you. He preserves you. He is leading you into godliness. He is seeing you through. He has started a good work within you, and he will see it through to the end. He has given us eternal life, and he has promised through his son that he will keep that promise and that you will see him someday. Through that promise of the gospel, Paul said, that promise of the God, Jesus Christ, come in the flesh, living that perfect life, dying the death that we deserved, being hung there on that tree, the cross, crucified in our place as our substitute, and on the third day, rose, risen in. This is what Paul says. This end, the hopes of this promise, the hopes of Christ, that He toils, that He works, that He suffers, that you could translate it. That he struggles. This is the reason that Paul says that he labors. This is the reason that Paul says that they are willing to suffer. See, Paul had eternity in view. And he is the one that said in Philippians 2 that you could count all of his life as rubbish. You could take it all away from him if he could only receive Christ. If he could only know Christ. See, that was his greatest Gain. That was his greatest gift of all of life was to know Jesus Christ. It was his hope. It was the reason that he worked. It was the reason that he labored. It was the reason that he pursued God. It's because he believed the promise. It's because he believed that, that Jesus Christ really did come into the world to save sinners. He really did believe that the cross will save sinners. He really did believe that that sacrifice was sufficient for all who come to him in faith. He really did believe that Christ would return for him, that Christ would save him. See, Paul could face the difficulties of life because he knew his Redeemer lived. And I purposely quoted Job there. That's what he said. He could face the almost insurmountable difficulties of life because he knew he would see his Redeemer someday. He knew his Redeemer lived. See, he could go through the difficulties of life. He could fight on. He could train in godliness. He could, he could live for God because his hope was set on the living God. His hope was beyond this life. His hope wasn't in the temporary. It was in the forever. It was, for, it was in God. And truly, this is the essence of our faith. It's the substance of our faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us exactly what faith is. It's the assurance of things hoped for. 
It's the assurance that, that God will do exactly what He will do. You know, Paul was not willing to take the gospel into these cities or these towns and be whipped, stoned, all the things that he went through on some whim or something that he thought. No, he was certain of the hope in God. He was certain of it. It was the conviction of the things not seen. And this was the Apostle Paul's hope that God would be his provider, his salvation, his savior, his everything. And so he believed God and he lived like it. And he's calling Timothy to do the same thing. Set your hope on the living God. Set your hope on eternal things. Set your hope beyond this temporary life. Don't devote yourself to these things that only can have temporary value. Instead, devote yourself to God and living for Him. And I'll finish with these questions. That's really the question for us today. Is do you live with eternity in view? Are you just living for the here and now? Do you live with the expectation that you will see God, that you will meet Him face to face? Are you living for Him? Is your life rooted in the hope of what He has done and what He will do? And do you walk by faith, not by sight? Do you really truly believe these things? Do you have a bold confidence in what He said and what He will do? Are you working towards that end? Do you have a deep desire to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant? I hope you have that desire here this morning. And for the Christian, the heart of the Christian, really what Scripture teaches is, if you are a new creation in Christ, if you truly have experienced the new birth, then this should be your greatest desire in life. To see God face to face and hear from Him, well done, my good and faithful servant.